Along with the story of Mary that we studied last week, there is another figure in the Christmas story that has a great deal to teach us, I think, about how to handle Christmas, how to handle the kinds of things that are described in the Christmas story. I'm speaking, of course, of the man that history simply calls Joseph. Uh, Somebody has referred to him as the forgotten man of Christmas, because in many ways, Joseph is uh, eclipsed by the story of Mary and many of the other more dramatic figures in the uh, narrative here. But I want to shine a light on Joseph today, if you'd permit me to. And I want to begin by describing an experience that I once had personally, which has helped me to increase my respect for the context in which we're meeting Joseph in his life this day. About 11 years ago now, my wife Amy and I were in the midst of one of those particularly challenging seasons of marriage and family life that perhaps some of you understand. I'm just using code language here. A challenging time, right? You understand, uh, some of you, what that can be like. In our house, finances were tight. Emotions were running very high. The sense of partnership between Amy and me as husband and wife was at a pretty significant low point. Uh, Amy was making plans to go back to work at this particular time, um, a a plan which I frankly greeted warmly uh, because I hoped that it would help to lift both her spirits and my spirits and uh, our family finances uh, a, a bit. And then the news suddenly came as we were about to enact this plan that Amy was pregnant and um, that we were expecting an unexpected child. And I'm going to say more about that in in just a moment and how it turned out. But I I have to tell you that at this particular uh, time, this event seemed, in my view, absolutely certain to put us under. I mean, it was going to put us under financially. It was going to put us under maritally. It was going to put us under, from an energy level, it was just going to put us under. And I will never forget, as Amy shared me the news, sitting on my bed, putting my feet over the side, hanging my head, putting my face in my hands, and they're escaping from the depths of my gut in that place where despair lives, these words, this is a catastrophe. This is a catastrophe. Now, I don't know for sure exactly or all of what was going through the heart and the mind of Joseph when Mary shared with him the news that she was expecting. The Bible, the Bible doesn't give us that kind of detail, but I, I can't help but think of that particular morning in my house and wonder if Joseph's response wasn't at least something like that. The Bible says that in Matthew 1, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Code language here. She was already in the game. She was already covenantally committed to Joseph. There was to be nobody but Joe in her life. But before they came together, again, you can read between the lines, before they did the things that husbands and wives do when it's official, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, we're told. 
Now, I don't think I need to paint for you what would have been going through Joseph's gut at the moment he discovers this news. You understand that no matter how Mary would have explained it, you understand that no matter how credible Mary was, it would not have felt to Joseph at that moment like a divine interruption, like one of those happy things that God does to sow his word and his life into us. It would not have felt that way to Joseph at all. This thing that Mary was reporting at this particular moment had to have felt like nothing but an utter catastrophe to Joseph. Joseph had done everything right in their relationship as far as the Bible can tell. In fact, the, the Bible goes on to say in the subsequent verses that Joseph was an exceptionally good guy, right? I mean, he was one of those faithful men that, that just walks the walk and lives out the faith. Yet the news that he was given here suggests that apparently all of his good behavior did not really matter that much at all to Mary, obviously, maybe not even to God, Joseph may have felt, unless he was remarkably naive or maybe uncommonly mystical, he would have to conclude that he'd been betrayed. Human nature being what it is, he'd have to conclude that he had been betrayed by the very person to whom he had entrusted his heart. And the only real question was how he would handle the catastrophe. Let me say parenthetically, that's... That's the reality, isn't it? I mean, into our lives come catastrophes. And the real question is, how will we handle them? We can't stop them from coming. How will we handle them when they do come? Would Joseph, in this case, abandon Mary coldly, as was an option for him? Would he just leave her to freeze and fend for herself as the penalty of her waywardness, her faithlessness to him? Or the other way around, would he deal with this angrily? (laughs) Would he get really hot? Would he stone her verbally or, or literally physically, which the Hebrew law would have permitted him to do in the case of such an obvious adultery? Would he stay with Mary? Would he pretend that the child was his? You know, that was an option too. Just say nothing. Everybody, a lot of people assumed it was his, right? Would he just pretend? And just wake up every morning. Knowing the sham. Living with the shame. How would he respond? How would he handle Christmas? Well, the Bible tells us that because Joseph, Mary's husband, was a righteous man, his heart was right with God. That's what righteous means. It was aligned with the character of God. Because Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. To divorce her quietly. You know, it seems to me that that these are always among the ways that we could choose to respond to the catastrophes that come upon us in life. Sometimes someone decides to just go cold. That's one way of handling it. 
I just can't take this. I'm going to go numb, right? I'm just going numb. I'm not going to let myself feel anything anymore. The pain is just too hard. I'm not going to let myself even feel. Sometimes it's the other direction. People decide to get hot instead. They look around for a golf club. Right? Something with some real heft to it. And they decide they're going to rage against the darkness. I mean, they're going to blast the person who did this. And even if it's God who appears to do it, or even if it's we who got ourselves into it, the raging heat that can rise in the moment of catastrophe is, is just one of the ways people respond. We think to ourselves, somebody's going to pay for this. Sometimes people decide to go underground instead. Other people don't need to know about this. They don't need to know all the gory details of my catastrophe. They don't need to see me in such a state of disarray and chaos and pain. I'm just going to pretend like nothing's wrong. I'm going to manage this. Or sometimes, like Joseph here in this particular story, sometimes somebody decides just to get away. Right? They don't go cold or get hot or go underground. They just get away. I'm going to keep moving. (laughs) I'm just going to put some distance between me. I'm going to move to a different location if necessary. I'm going to bury myself in other things. I'm going to just get away from this chaos, this heartache, this terrible despair of living in a world where bad things happen to good people and to not so good people alike. These are ways of responding, handling the catastrophes of life. Which one of them is most your style? Which is the natural response when you get into one of these places? There's always this additional option, however, isn't there? If you think about it, there's always another way, potentially, of handling these difficult moments. It's, it's a completely counterintuitive thing, I grant you. Sometimes somebody might choose to believe that the cataclysmic thing that is happening to them or in them could, in fact, not just be an ordinary catastrophe, but a divine catastrophe. In fact, I'd go so far as to say to you this morning, and maybe this would be the most valuable thought I can plant all morning long, is that the difference between a mere catastrophe... And what becomes a divine catastrophe lies entirely in the response, lies entirely in the openness, the courageous openness of the human heart towards the events of the moment. Sometimes people will elect to see the event which brings them such pain and turmoil, not as a sign that all hope is gone, but maybe as a sign that a new hope could be born, that that something different can be revealed, that the awesome purposes of God might yet be done. In other words, sometimes they choose to see what they're going through as actually like labor pains. I've been told by women that labor is a catastrophe. Right? 
I mean, everything is in agony and spasm and pain, and yet something glorious can be born from it. Matthew 1 and verse 20 says that after Joseph had considered all of his options, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joe, son of David, don't be afraid. Take courage. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because, Joe, what is conceived in her, what is happening now, is of the Holy Spirit. God is in this. I know that's hard to believe, but he's there. And Mary will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Which means savior. Because he will save his people from their sins. And then the text goes on and says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. How amazing that the place where they felt so completely abandoned, alone, was actually the place through which God was coming near. So here's the question. Does it still work this way? I mean, is it possible that some of the worst things that ever befall us or the people that we love can actually become avenues for the movement of the best? What if some of these catastrophes that we've seen or maybe living through right now are actually necessary pathways for discovering God with us? More of God than we've known before. What if all of this turmoil that takes place is actually to fulfill the good Lord's purposes, his desires for our lives? What if there's no other way but down the the birth canal of this agony that his good purposes can be born in some sector of our life. What if that's possible? I mean, it takes a lot of courage to believe that, frankly. Especially since most of us don't have the benefit of an angel, you know, sort of showing up, knocking on the door and saying, hey, this is what's going on. Unless you give me the credit of playing that role this morning. It takes courage to believe. That's why they call it faith. But it has been my privilege to talk to people every single week (laughs) who seem to be facing circumstances that are similarly despair-inducing and worse, frankly. In one way or another, a very difficult message gets delivered to them. I'm sorry, but you can't work here anymore. I know you know everybody. I know this is your web of friendships. I know this is where you derive a sense of meaning and significance. I know that this is how you make your income and care for your kids and your family and and keep the roof over your head. I know about all of that. I get that. Although they rarely are kind enough to say that. They just say, please put your things in the box. You got to go. It's over. And it's a catastrophe. 
or listen to us. Alcohol's beating you. You're fooling yourself. But you're not fooling us. You're not making it. And it's destroying us too. Or I'm afraid that the test results were not good. It is cancer. You need to come in and see me right away. There are people who have heard the words, the marriage is over. There's no saving it. Here are the papers. Or, the police are at the door. They found out. You're going to jail. Or, I'm very sorry to inform you, there has been a terrible accident. And that person that you expected to be sitting at the Christmas table with you is never going to be there again. Or we just don't have the money to pay the bills, honey. And we're out of credit. This is a catastrophe. So in those situations and many more we could list, the, the, the same choices that Joseph faced, you know, they're, are, they're presented to us too. Do I, do I go cold? Do I get hot? Do I go underground? Do I try to just get away? Or do I do the courageous thing, the counterintuitive thing, like Joseph did? Do I finally trust that God might just be in this? And that if we resolve to trust him and to just put one foot in front of the other, obeying his calling day by day, something may yet be born that is dramatically better than I can see right now from this place of utter darkness. Do I have the courage to believe that could be true? Do you? Eleven years ago, Amy and I had no clue that the catastrophe that we were in the midst of would be the beginning of life in the whole next season of our marriage. We had no idea 11 years ago as I'm sitting there on the side of the bed and Amy's standing there with voice trembling that it was going to be the start of a new spiritual journey at a different kind of depth for both of us. Frankly, it seemed like it would be impossible for good to come out of that particular moment. It meant trusting much more deeply than we frankly had in a while that God had brought us together for a purpose. And we dared to to try and believe that again. It meant obediently staying in the relationship when frankly there were moments. It meant doing our own personal work on our own character and praying that God would do in us or in our partner What we couldn't do, we didn't know how to do. And we didn't get out of that darkness overnight. It wasn't like, oh, a week went by and, ah, new birth, a baby. Oh, it's how great it all is now. It was hard. It was labor. But I tell you that the journey of trusting and obeying, as painful as that was, 
led to a profound renewal in our relationship. To the point where I can say, I look at her today and say, I love her more than I did when I married her. And the miracle is, she looks at me the same way. Her eyes are failing as she gets older, I think. And of course, it led to the birth of our wonderful third son. And what an amazing gift he's been to our family. But I tell you, I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. It was nothing but catastrophe at the start. You know, I know of of people whose salvation lay in being sent to prison. (laughs) And they would tell you that. Uh, I know of people whose relationship with God and with their loved ones only really hit stride when they lost their job or when their health failed. And I know there are plenty of stories where things went the other way. I'm not naive about that. Uh, Sometimes it's just catastrophe. But I never have seen a situation where somebody had courageously trusted God and perseveringly obeyed his call to wait in prayer, to love, to forgive, to listen, to reach out to a community of other people in the midst of never seen somebody who has followed God's commandments in those moments who did not ultimately see something born out of the darkness that was light. That fulfilled God's good purposes. It can be unimaginably hard to hold on to that belief when you're in the middle of it. And and I know it still is. For my friends Rob and Lori Channa who gave me permission to tell you their family's story today. Some of you know, their 22-year-old son died in a bizarre bus crash on May the 30th of this year. He had just graduated from college. He was heading off to biz school. He was popular, healthy, handsome, articulate, faithful kid. Everything in front of him in life, and the bus he was traveling in smashed into an a low bridge, (laughs) and Cameron Channa was killed at age 22. So much about his death still feels like nothing but senseless catastrophe. Let me just be honest about that. It just still feels that way so much of the time. But strange things have happened in the midst of that story. Sometime before his accident, something or someone moved Cameron to do something highly unusual for a kid of his age. Cameron went to a website called DonateLifeIllinois.org. And there he learned that one in 20 Americans will need some type of medical transplant sometime in their lifetime. He learned that more than 4,700 are waiting for a transplant in Illinois alone. Just in Illinois, 4,700 people this morning waiting for a transplant. An average of 18 people die each and every day waiting for such a transplant. Few 22-year-olds, people at the peak of height, they're immortal, right? They will never die. Few 22-year-olds ever think about such things. But strangely, Cameron Channa did. And he went online to that website 
and he registered himself to be an organ donor. This past week, Rob and Lori went to a restaurant in Villa Park, and they met there a man named Nathan in whose chest is beating Cameron's heart. And he's going to be married later this year. And the Chanas are going to the wedding. A father of two children now has a wonderfully healthy set of lungs. Not his own. A gift of grace. And he's going to get a chance to see his kids grow up, God willing. A 52-year-old man is going to be able to survive now because he's been gifted with a liver in perfect condition. A 42-year-old woman from North Carolina and a 15-year-old little boy from Kentucky now each have the kidney that they needed to survive. A Chicago man and another one from Peoria can see the Christmas lights this year because Cameron Channa gave them the gift of sight. And in the years to come, who knows how many other lives are going to be changed, maybe saved, because of the story of Cameron's life. Because some of you are going to go to that website today, having heard his story. Because Rob and Lori will not stop telling it and advocating for the power of that kind of love. Was Cameron's death a divine catastrophe? I'll tell you, I just don't know. It's, it's not for me to say. But I do know, this much I do know, that once long ago, somebody else's very precious son was taken away, died, suddenly, tragically killed. And it seemed to everybody watching like it was just a senseless catastrophe. And yet out of that darkness... Out of that darkness long ago, there flowed a life and a light that is still changing and saving lives even to this day. Where did Cameron learn that vision himself for giving things away? Right here in the youth program of the church through the story of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to remember this. Remember the story of Joseph. Remember the story of Jesus when you or somebody that you love is is facing a catastrophe. You may need to spend some time with your face in your hands. It's okay. You may need some time to to, to go cold or to reach for the golf club, get hot. You may need some time, you know, to just go underground or then to get away. It's okay. It's okay. But don't, don't stay there. Make the choice that Joseph finally did. Don't be afraid. Don't let despair win. Take courage. In this world, you will have troubles. You will have suffering, said Jesus. But be brave. For I have overcome the world. And I will help you do so.
if you stay with me. So trust in God. Obey his commandments. And you may be surprised by what finally gets born. And thus the scriptures say that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus.